I'd like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Eileen. Thank you very much. Thanks, Mickey. My name's Eileen. I'm a compulsive operator. Hi. Hey, thanks for asking me, John. Uh, welcome to the newcomers. It's really great to have you guys here, and uh, congratulations, Justin. That's really great. Um, see, how do I want to start? I'm a little nervous tonight. I just put this little piece of paper in my hand. I heard somebody say this once in a meeting, and whenever I share like this, especially if I'm nervous, or whenever I have to do anything and I'm nervous, I write on a little piece of paper, because I heard somebody else say this once, it says, God, you talk. So I have it smooshed up in my, the palm of my hand. So anything that comes out of my mouth, I am not responsible for. It is totally coming from God. And, you know, and if you're new and you hear the word God and you think, oh, my God, yuck. Uh, that, was, that was my experience. When I, I came into, you know, Operators Anonymous maybe 20 years ago and went to a couple of uh, meetings, and I heard the word God, and I was out of here. I was like, I don't, I don't want God. I'm looking for something beyond that. And <laughs> the help I needed, you know. But, uh, but after all, then I had to go out and do more eating. I had to go out and do more binging, compulsive overeating, and yo-yo dieting and all that stuff. And then I came back in here and found God. And that's what I was looking for all the time. And I didn't know it. But, uh, you know, I went to channel entities. I did all that stuff. And what I was really looking for is the simplicity of God. Um, so what it used to be like, what it's like, what happened and what it's like now. What it used to be like, um, I don't know how old I was when I became a compulsive overeater, um, but I remember pretty young, you know, I was more focused on food than anybody else in my family. Uh, just, you know, I, and, and I was always dieting as a teenager, and when I look at pictures of myself, I was very normal, but for some reason I already had that body obsession. Um, and I remember feeling less than, and I remember feeling like I didn't fit in. And I used to think it was just kind of like I knew the nerdy people and I knew the popular people, but I was neither. But what I realized was, and not that long ago, is I really kind of kept myself separate from everything. And I would interact with people, and I looked like I was there with you, and I was having a good time, and I was laughing and talking, but I was keeping I was keeping some kind of distance. And, you know, and that, that is still somewhere I go very, very easily um, to not feel a part of. It's really hard for me sometimes to feel a part of. Anyway, um, so, you know, Halloween was my favorite holiday, and my brother and I would go trick-or-treating, you know, we'd come home, and we'd both dump out our little pile of candy, and, you know, he had one more mini Snickers bars than I did, you know, I wanted to kill him, you know, I mean, that, that was it, you know, and then I would do things like, I would pretend I was done with all my Halloween candy, and then he would, then he would have some left, and I'd say, Mike, can I have some, and he was so sweet, he was my younger brother, and he would give it to me, you know, so, that was, and that was some of the nicer behavior around the food, you know, or my mom would, you know, my mom would go to the store and get some cookies, and I would eat an entire pound of cookies, and I remember having an argument this is so funny, I just thought of it, when I was like in high school, with this guy that I knew, and I would say to him, I, if I ate a pound of candy, I would gain more than a pound, and he was like, you cannot gain more than, if you only put a pound in your body, you can't get, I don't, and I, I couldn't explain it, like, chemistry-wise, I just knew that if I, and I did eat more than a pound, and I know I gained more than a pound, so it was, you know, but somehow I knew those things, and I don't know how I knew, but anyway, I, and I would have defended that to the death. <laughs> anyway, um, so, and I remember going to parties when I was a kid, and I was always sitting next to the big bowl of M&Ms, and I couldn't stop. I mean, there, you know, I'm a compulsive operator. Uh, once I start 
pocket, so I can't go, oh, I'll have one and put it away. Um, I, you know, I used to eat whole jars of peanut butter, but I, it, didn't, it didn't start out like, oh, I'm going to have a jar of peanut butter. It started out, I'm going to have a tablespoon of peanut butter, and, and also, if I eat out of the original container, I'm powerless. You know, I cannot control myself. So it would be one tablespoon at a time, and then I'd put it back in the refrigerator, and I'd go back, you know, what do they say, 16 tablespoons. I still remember that. <laughs> I have a problem with life, and I don't 
confident. I, my, my, my perception of my body is totally off. I definitely do not see my body the size that it is. I, uh, you know, I, I don't weigh myself very often. I let the doctors, I didn't let the doctors weigh me for years because I figured, you know, if, I, if it was lower than I thought, I didn't want them to tell me, and of course they always had to say something. Um, but, you know, if it was lower than I thought, I wanted to eat. If it was higher than I thought, I wanted to eat. So, you know, for me, it has mostly been about, you know, just knowing what my size is, you know, and I just kind of go, okay, if I fit in this size, I must be okay. But I can look at myself in the mirror and think I have to lose 20 pounds. I, I don't see myself clearly, and I never did, especially, you know, knowing when I look back on my teenage pictures, I was pretty normal, but I felt like I was fat. So, um, let's see. I, I brought my big book. I didn't mark some things, but there are, I just, the literature here is just so profound to me. And I remember when I first read this and I thought, you know, they're talking about alcoholics and all that. And I was like, what's this? I'm not an alcoholic. I can't relate to this. But you know what? I'm an alcoholic with food. I, you know, and I, I've only, I only heard that in this program. I never heard that before. Um, I don't even know how I found Overeaters Anonymous. Um, I had been to therapy. You know, I love that expression, self-knowledge about us nothing, because I went to a lot of therapy before I came into program, and I can tell you all kinds of issues. I can tell you all kinds of issues in my life. You know, my parents. I was the first child. My parents' energy between them was always bad. They. They probably, my mom told me she almost divorced my father when she was pregnant with me. So, so you know, and, and I'm the first child, so there was always tension between my parents, and I'm really sensitive to that. And so the only thing I learned, somehow I discovered, ooh, if I eat a lot of food, I numb out, and I don't have to feel those kinds of things. Um, but, you know, so I know all those kinds of things, but, you know, that could have not been the case, and I could be a compulsive overeater. I don't know why it, I became a compulsive overeater. Um, in the front of my big book, I don't know if somebody told me to do this. I think so. When I first got this big book, I, you know, I'd hear people share at meetings, and they'd say something that I loved or something in the big book that I loved. So I'd write it in a little piece of paper, and then I'd go home and read it. And I have all these little notes in here like, you know, fear, page 67 to 68, suddenly, you know, that suddenly thing. Um, and so that helps me because there's so many things in here I love. And I, there's, a, there's, a, there's a line in... Um, a vision for you that I just think is so beautiful. It says, the most satisfactory years of your existence lie ahead. And that has been my experience. When I came in here, I thought I was just so old and, you know, forget it. And I'm not going to make my life better. And the truth is, even on a crappy day, and I have lots of them, this week has been really hard. I'm, I feel kind of tired and low energy tonight. Um, but even on a really crappy day, it's way better than it was before because I was isolated and I didn't know what to do. And now I don't always do what I need to do. I know things that work for me. I don't always do what I need to do, but I know the things I need to do. And, <laughs> you know, like even just call somebody. And sometimes for me, you know, I have to be up against the wall in pain <laughs> before I'm going to take an action. Um, but I'll take it. And lately, um, something that's been up for me has been has been to, to do with relationships. And um, I got married almost three years ago, and totally as a result of being in this program, in a million years that would never have happened. I had 100% given up hope that that would ever happen. So I got married at the age of 50, and, you know, the, uh, beating all possible odds, you know, all 
all the statistics said, you know, the chances of you getting married, a, a woman getting married at that age was like 0.00000, you know, 1%, you know. And I read that article, it was, I think it was in Time Magazine, you know, like five years ago. And I was just, it devastated me, but I never talked about it. And I never, and I never, you know, said, oh, that'll never happen. I just knew. I just knew it would never happen. So if that could happen for me, I think all miracles are possible, you know. And, and, and I don't even mean that that's the best possible thing in the universe. <laughs> Believe me, some days it's not. <laughs> some days it's not, and I didn't know that could be so. Um, but, you know, but the thing is, uh, even on a really crappy day that's really hard, no matter what aspect of my life that is, I can still stay abstinent through it. And, you know, I heard this guy in the valley has got 20-something years of abstinence, and I love to hear him say this because he says, you know, abstinence, however many years, he says, I have 20-something years, it doesn't mean that life is more perfect. It just means I've gotten through more things abstinent. And that's the truth because life hands us, hands me, all kinds of things that I think are a pain in the ass and I wish it wasn't happening and I, I you know, I don't like it and I can't do this. And uh, last week I decided I can't do my work anymore. I don't like it. It's too hard and, you know, and, you know, I was advised, maybe now is not a good time to make a major decision, you know, when I'm in the middle of, like, freaking out. And, um... <laughs> Um, and 
I read it from beginning to end, and, you know, we always make that a vision for you page at meetings. But I didn't know where it was in the big book, and so I'm reading, and all of a sudden I come to the end of a vision for you, and that's where it is. But the paragraph before the part that we usually read is, still, you may say, but I will not have the benefit of contact with you who write this book. We cannot be sure. This makes me want to cry. God will determine that, so you must always remember that your real reliance is always upon him. And this is the line. He will show you how to create the fellowship you crave. And I love that, because I didn't know how to do it myself, and I still don't. Um, So I need God to show me. And uh, somebody said to me yesterday, um, it's Rosh Hashanah, Jewish holiday, and I'm Jewish. Um, in my family, my brother's out of town, so we always celebrate when he can come into town. So we're celebrating next Saturday night, so it's a weekly. Um, but I was talking to a woman that I know who's in a business group that I'm in, but we're friends also, and um, she was telling me about next week is a holiday called Yom Kippur, if you're not familiar, and it's, it's, it's a day of atonement, and you ask for forgiveness. And she said to me, it's not just about forgiveness, but it's about repairing relationships. And, you know, I... What I try to do now is listen to what kind of, what, what's coming at me from people. I never know who, who God is speaking through to tell me something that I really need to know. And I just it just struck me when she said it's about repairing relationships. And I just started thinking about um, people that I needed to make contact with and just some things I needed to clean up that I haven't been as, as you know cleaning up my side or just responsive about recently. And it made me feel really good. I took care of some things yesterday, and I, and I feel like I'm sort of continuing on that, and I feel like that um, that's kind of a, a little push for me to start moving in the direction of sharing about this and changing things in my life. And, you know, it's really lovely to be married and have somebody that I get to come home to every night, but I need other friends also. It's not okay, and I know this, but... Um, it's not okay to put all the pressure on the relationship. No one person. To, and I was told this about my sponsor because I just I I was just I idolized my sponsor. She's now a regular person to me, but I still go there sometimes. Um, but you know, she would always encourage me to call lots of other people, and that it's no no one person can ever give us one everything in our life. Only God. Um, so um, it's lovely to be married and have that commitment, and I need to have other people in my life to really talk to. And, and I realize that when I'm not doing that, I am putting a lot of pressure on my marriage, and it doesn't go good. It doesn't go good, you know. And so um, that, that feels like what's up for me right now. And, and it's hard, and I, and I have a lot of shame about that. I had a lot of shame about the fact that I wasn't married. I had a huge amount of shame. I felt like I was walking around with a big sign on me that said, I'm defective and nobody wants me, you know. And so and so clearly that's not so. But now thinking about having girlfriends, I always wanted to, like, go out with a bunch of friends. And, you know, I have women in my life and I have friends, but somehow we just don't do that. But there's, there's, there's growth there for me. And I have a huge 
talk about God a little bit more. Because, um, you know, I really feel like I have a God in my life. And if someone was going to ask me, you know, what is God? How do you define God? Who is God? What is it? How do you do that? I really don't know what it is. I really, I, I, is it a man in a white robe and big, you know, beard? I have no idea what it is. In, in the spiritual experience, it talks about an intuitive feeling that comes from inside of us. Um, I don't know what it is. Maybe it's a combination of all those things. But what I know is I hear voices. I hear instructions. I hear, like, why don't you call this person? Why don't you say this to this person? Why don't you not say this to this person? You know? Um, And when I follow those instructions, it works. And when I don't, it seems not to, at least as well. So as far as I'm concerned, that's God. And, um, you know, and, and when I think back on lots of different moments in my life, and I think to myself, oh, yeah, I had a feeling not to do that, or, oh, yeah, I had a feeling to do that, but I didn't, I think that's God for me. And um, and it, it's just, you know, my, my spiritual experience, and I do believe I've had a spiritual experience um, from going through the steps. I've gone through all 12 steps. Um, it was slow for me, but it was gradual. Like, I don't remember at what point. It talks about this in one of the steps. I don't remember which step. But I don't remember at what point I started believing this. I just know that it was gradual, and I just do. Do I do I remember to ask God for help every day when I'm having, you know, crappy moments? No, I totally forget. I totally forget about God. It really annoys me. I mean, it, how, how much amnesia I have. And, you know, I'm going through the day, and I'm powering through, and I'm
was really hard, and it continues to be. Um, and I need to find somebody here, and I don't want to, and I don't like it, and it's really hard for me. And I really, it's been really hard. But um, my experience with this sponsor, and she was not my first sponsor, she is probably about my fifth, fourth or fifth sponsor, was, first of all, uh, I called her every single day. And she taught me how to be a sponsor. She taught me about it, how to be a human being. And, you know, it's so interesting. She's not, she's not a perfect person, and I so want her to be, but she's not. And she's taught me about being human, too, and accepting people for not, for not needing them to be perfect. Um, anyway, called her every single day, and not just Monday through Thursday, not just Monday through Friday, but every single day. And if I didn't get her, she always, always, always return my call. Always. And that was the most profound experience. It was the most healing experience I've ever had. I, I, I never had any, I never felt like somebody, and we, we weren't friends, we're not friends, she's my sponsor. It's different, you know. But, and we sometimes spoke five to fifteen minutes a day. Sometimes we spoke for half an hour, but mostly it was, um, you know, maybe fifteen minutes. But the consistency of it, and the, and she was kind, and she showed up, and she word. I never had that experience in my life. And she didn't have to. You know, like we do this for fun and for free. We, we do this because it helps us and it helps the other person. Uh, sometimes I would just cry on the phone with her um, that she, she was there, that she was there so consistently and that I could count on her. And, um, <clears throat> and you know, and the thing is about sponsors, you know, she's younger than me. She's
with my mother, the mother that I never had. I mean, I have a mother, and I have a good relationship with her now. I'll talk about that in a few minutes. But, um, but it was kind of like I was a little kid, and I grew up with her, and I got to have the experience of somebody consistently caring about me. And, uh, you know, and when I call her, and, the, the, and I still remember this, and the phone conversation would be ending, and she was just there, and she was kind, and, and I'd be, okay, thank you. And I could hear, okay, bye. You know, and she was on to her life, you know. And then there were times when, um, you know, I would, I love where it talks in one of the steps about, you know, a fancied slight or hurt. And, uh, oh, it's in the big book. And, uh, you know, there would be times where I thought, oh, she didn't like me. She wanted to go on to somebody else. I'm not her, I wanted to be her favorite sponsee. <laughs> you know, I always wanted to be her favorite sponsee. Um, um, and I would talk to her about it, you know. And, um, that's what I learned with a sponsor is the same, even if I didn't want to talk to her about stuff because I was convinced that the, there was a thing that I was going to say or do or be and I didn't know exactly what it was and I, I really have lived my life up, <laughs> comes up but, but it's not running me but it used to run me that in every relationship there was something that I could do or say or be it was you each and every one of you that would be the thing that would make you go screaming from the room do not ever talk to me again and I was with her, and so I would be afraid to tell her something, either a food that I was having a problem with, a behavior or something, I'd be really scared to tell her, but I would tell her anyway, and the experience of her not saying, uh, you know, goodbye, and, you know, me trying that and living through it, because, you know, it does feel like I'm going to die, I mean, it sounds silly, but it does, and she never ran away um, until she went to Mexico, and truthfully, you know, (laughs) truthfully, I never went I never went to Daryl left me. I never went there. Um, I felt disappointed and sad that she left, but I never did that. Yeah. Um, let's see. Let's talk about relationships with family. Because um, relationships, you know, for me, a big part of my compulsive overeating was about relationships. And I know that's another program, but I deal with it here too, you know, um, because I had a lot of fear in terms of people. And, I, you know, I looked like having a good time and comfortable socially, but still, I mean, I feel very afraid a lot of times, but I get to show up anyway, and usually what I find is whatever my fear is, isn't, you know, whatever's going to happen isn't nearly as bad as what my disease tells me, and, um, you know, when I try to figure things out with my head, I heard somebody recently tell me, she said, it's like, you know, trying to figure out the problem with the problem. My disease is centered in my head, so I'm trying to figure out what's going on and how to solve it with my head. That's not going to happen. So I try. I try. Um, relationships with family. So um, my, my parents are divorced. They've been divorced for a long time. Uh, my dad is now, uh, he has Parkinson's and, and dementia or Alzheimer's, and it's really, really hard. And, you know, he had this weird psychotic thing happen a couple of years ago, and I had to go every single day to the doctor and advocate for him. And, you know, I... I, I thought he was going to die, and I did. And I talked to him, and I told him I loved him. He couldn't open his eyes for a while, and he was hallucinating. It was very strange. It was the most strange experience I've had. And, but I, but this program, he, he, I did not want to be there every day. I did not have all my issues with my father resolved. I, my father really wasn't a loving. He loved me, but he was not. He was never proud of me. Never told me I was beautiful. Nothing. 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 He was a very, very withdrawn man. And um, so, 
ever, ever, and I stayed abstinent through that. And um, I never could have done that. And my sponsor told me to, you know, say what I needed to say to him. And we had this amazing conversation. And I, his eyes were closed. And I didn't know if he heard me or not. And I told him how much I loved him. And I apologized for the things that I ever did in our relationship that, you know, created problems. Because believe me, I did my thing. You know, when I was eating, I could be a bitch. And selfish and self-centered, just like it talks about in our, all our literature. And, and he heard me. And I wrote, and my sponsor told me to write it all down. And I did. And um, he got better. And uh, amazingly, I mean, I'm shocked. Um, but he still has dementia, and he still has Parkinson's, and he's in a he's in a senior um, home, and you know, and I still show up the best I can for him, and some, and sometimes my best is better than other times. Sometimes I could really be there and have fun. Sometimes I just show up and have lunch with him, and it's really really hard still. But because of this program, I was able to show up and be the kind of daughter that uh, you know I have to do those kind of things to stay abstinent. Because if I didn't, and I didn't, you know, if I shunned him, and nobody else was going to do it. Um, I have a brother, and we share things, so it's great. But um, I live nearby, and uh, I have to do these things to stay up. I have to do things that make me feel okay about myself. Because if I if I didn't show up, if I'm crappy to him, I want to eat. I want to eat and hurt myself. That's what eating is about. It makes me hurt myself, um, or one of the things it's about. So, um, and I have a lot of feelings about it, and I've talked to a lot of people about it, and as I said, I've sought and I seek outside help, and it's helped me a lot. Um, my relationship with my mom, um, you know, it's, it's better than it used to be, and I used to have to pick fights with my mother all the time. You know, every little thing she said that annoyed me, I had to say something. We had a very volatile relationship. You know, I used to be the door slamming queen of our neighborhood when I was a teenager. You know, I'm, I'm sure everybody could hear me slamming the doors and screaming down the street. Um, and my mom does not know I'm in program, by the way. I've never shared it with her. I don't think she'd get it. Someday maybe I will. She thinks, she totally does see a change in me, but she thinks it happened when I got married. <laughs> she does. She says to me, since you've been married, and, you know, I just let her think that. Who cares? Um, but, you know, I started changing before because I've only been married for three years and I've been here. I, ha- I have five and a half years of abstinence, by the way. Um, so, um, so, you know, why don't I tell my mother? I just, uh, it, beca- it would become all about her. Uh, I just don't, for some, you know, and she won't get it. And I don't feel like I'll never tell her. There may be a time that I will that will be right. Um, but for me... That's the right thing to do for now. I have made amends to her. I just made amends and just said, I need to do these things. And uh, I told my father. I don't think he got it, but I told him. I told my brother. It's really interesting. You know, I thought there was no compulsive eating in my family. And then I started looking. My, my uncle, who's my mother's brother, who I adore, um, used to be 300 pounds. Now, he, now, and he's like 70. He's bulimic. Um, my father had a sister who was 300 pounds. And, you know, I thought there was nothing in my